Hello and welcome to What Comes Next, the podcast which discusses technologies which shape our future. What I wanted to do just at the beginning of this episode is address some of the intense images and videos that we've all been seeing, all been hearing about in the news over the past couple of weeks. Just to timestamp this, um, today is the 10th of March and we're watching a war unfold in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. Devastating images of people having to flee their homes and our hearts and feelings go out to the people of Ukraine. Before I continue with the episode today, I want to point everyone towards the Disaster Emergency Committee's charity appeal at dec.org.uk. It's a match-funded appeal the UK government where people can give and help refugees who are fleeing the conflict. So our hearts and minds really do go out to, um, to everyone who's affected by the conflict. So there's also been a bit of a hiatus with the What Comes Next podcast, and you'll hear that I'm sounding decidedly more lonely <laughs> this side of Christmas when we did our 50th episode. We've taken a short hiatus, not least because we've sadly had to say goodbye to my co-hosts, Amy Dickens and Rob Kellner. Both of them have gone on to exciting new careers in tech companies in London outside of Grantree, and so we'll be leaving the podcast. But I do want to take this opportunity to say a massive thank you to them for all of the work and all of the fantastic episodes that they've been a huge part of and that have been the kind of foundation of this podcast really would be nothing without the, the two of them. And I'm very grateful that we, we got to share all of those conversations together. So I thought that now that it will be myself that's, that's running the, the podcast, I wanted to take some time to actually think about what we're trying to do with what comes next, right? We've been in a position where over the past two years, we've been fortunate enough to speak to some of the leading innovators and technologists across the UK and hear what their vision of the future is. It's something that we want to continue to do and we've got some plans for some really, really exciting episodes moving forward. However, what I will say is that Rob, Amy and I are all essentially pretenders in this field. We're not technologists and we've done a very good job of asking interesting questions to very, very smart people and sounding roughly like we deserve to be in the room. But this is something that came out of a, a conversation in the pub between Rob, Amy and I, as I say, about two years ago when we decided that we really, really did want to kind of geek out on these uh, new technologies together. So interestingly, one of the developments that we're, that we're looking at for the near future, which I'm very, very excited to touch upon today, actually started out with a conversation in the pub as well. I guess it really makes sense for us to bring someone into the show at this point who actually has a good amount of technological insight to speak from. And luckily at Grantree, we have some amazing technical experts that work with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So without further ado, it's my absolute pleasure to invite onto the show today, my new co-host, Barbara Souza. She works in our tech team at Grantree. She's an R&D engineer with a PhD in engineering science from the University of Oxford, no less. She's a nanotechnologist, a material scientist, and an innovation researcher, which makes her about 10 times more qualified to be in this room than I am. Barbara, say hi to the listeners. Oh, hello, everybody. Hello, Quico. It's really nice to be here. Like being a longtime listener of the show, it's really, really a pleasure. We are so happy to have you on the show, and I can't wait to be able to speak with some of our clients, some of our contacts in a manner that's actually going to really kind of dig into their tech in a bit more detail. But before we start talking about what we've got planned for, for future episodes, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about 
your areas of specialism, you know, the, the kind of tech that you've been involved in. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. To start with, I guess, our listeners might have already gathered from my tropical accent that is kind of like Copacabana. I'm from <laughs> Brazil. Uh, so I originally moved to the UK in 2017, which is now almost four years and a half ago, like time is really flying, um, to do my PhD uh, in nanotechnology, as you mentioned at the beginning. But by training, I'm actually a mechanical engineer. So Amazing. I started my undergrad studying mechanical engineering. And actually, at the beginning of it, I was very far from what I was mostly working with in the last couple of years. I actually started my research career in studying a philosophy of mathematics, which in a way nicely links to the nanotech world as well. And I'm going to get to this later on. Yeah. But I've gone, I come through like a very long journey of studying different topics. So it involved, as I said, philosophy of mathematics. Then I started to get more of a feeling for materials. So I started getting more engaged of understanding how materials interact with with the word and later on how materials interact with our own bodies as well. And this all together, this combination of all of these things took me into the nanotech side of things, um, which in a, in a way is nice because nanotechnology in itself is also a combination of all of these fields. So you have physics, you have chemistry, you have engineering in a way, but you also have biology, especially depending on the way you want to leverage nanotechnology and which kind of applications you're envisioning. So yeah, so I feel like everything that I've been able to be involved with in the past all came together and I could obviously explore all of these parts a little bit more during my PhD. So during my time at Oxford, well, what I was basically trying to do was understand a little bit better how we can improve the ways we produce nanomaterials to have a smaller impact, not only on the world, but also on the way these nanoparticles actually interact with our bodies. So the focus of my PhD was actually devising nanoparticles for a specific kind of material that we call meta-organic frameworks or like abbreviation of it, it's MOFs. So okay. Yeah, so it's a big class of materials, which is basically like you combine different metals with different organic molecules, and then with this, you can create one, two, or three D structures that can be used for various kinds of applications. Okay. And and when, when I think of, of nanotechnology, obviously the first thing that pops into mind is this is incredibly small, but can you give our listeners an understanding of what scales you're operating on here when you're developing a new material? Yeah, of course. So for comparison, I think a good example is if we want to compare the nanometric scale to our microscopic work that we operate on a daily basis, it's the same of comparing, for example, a football, uh, official football of 22 centimeters to actually the planet Earth, which has more Whoa. than 12 kilometers in diameter. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really talking about very, very small, small things. And then people might be curious and wonder, like, what is this whole obsession about things that are very, very small, right? And then we are always trying to make something smaller and smaller, and especially when we get to the nanoscale and the atomic scale, it becomes even more complicated to understand and study these structures. But I can tell you it's not just for the sake of doing something small. Actually, the game of science is, it operates by different rules when you're playing it in the nanometric scale. And that's the whole beauty of it, because materials and the structures start to present different properties and different behaviors that they don't actually have in the microscopic scale. Amazing. Can, can you give an example of that? Yeah, of course. So there are two very cool examples that I always like to talk about. One of them is graphite. So graphite is something that is very easy to find. So for example, you find it in the tip of the pencil that you use every day to write. And 
I guess you and I, we have probably already broken a lot of pencil tips just by dropping it to the floor. And that's because graphite is very brittle. But then when you take it to the nanoscale and you have one single layer of graphite, which is basically just carbons, it's something that we call graphene, which is known as one of the strongest, most conductive materials in the whole world. So you see the disproportion of characteristics that these materials present by just bringing them to the nanoscale. Amazing. So I guess there's probably some kind of race going on in the, the sphere of nanotechnology to figure out which materials that we've been uh, using in, in micro scale for, for you know for decades, and seeing what they do on the nanoscale and to figure out how they can be can be utilized. Is that going on at the moment? Absolutely. Graphene is, is a very good example of that. Because a lot of scientists, a lot of companies actually think it's the key that we have to better leverage batteries, which could be the great breakthrough into making electric vehicles, for example, something more accessible and more widely distributed. But this is true as well for many other kinds of applications. When we talk about nanotechnology, it has gone through different phases. So at the beginning, around in the midst of the 60s and 70s, was much more of a conceptual thing. Can we actually make things that are that small? And if we can, how can we do that? Because one thing is, is you're thinking about that, and another thing is actually having the means to achieve that tiny structure yeah. and actually having the means to analyze it yeah. and see if it presents the properties we want. Is there a kind of a situation where the predictions that people were making 50 years ago, technology is actually catching up to that now and, and allowing us to see whether our predictions were correct? Yeah, that's actually, all of that actually started with this guy who's basically a genius of his time called Richard Feynman. He was a scientist in Caltech and then he delivered a lecture in, in the end of the 50s, which was called There is Plenty of Room at the Bottom. So he was basically conceptualizing this idea, can we actually make these tiny, tiny machines that would present this potentially whole set of properties? And then he believed that was possible, but what made that impossible at the time was that we didn't have the tools to make that happen, to actually see if we could. So I would say the biggest advance that technology has presented since that time when people were thinking whether this was possible or not is actually that we have made huge advances in terms of the, uh, the instruments and the techniques that we have available to us uh, to study materials in the nanometric scale. One of them is the resolution that electronic microscope have presented uh, in the last couple of, of decades, uh, which has massively improved. And nowadays, for example, we are able to actually visualize a single atom and manipulate that. So basically, the prediction that Feynman has made 60 years ago has come true because we can actually manipulate the matter in the nanoscale, even in the atomic scale, and we can actually use the trapwire materials that have superior properties than they present in the microscopic scale. Amazing. And, and is this the same uh, Richard Feynman of the Manhattan Project? It's the same this guy, the same, yeah. Man, this guy is absolutely incredible, and we'll, we'll share some links to uh, some incredible videos of the Feynman diagrams in the show notes as well. But certainly, just like this captivating character, who in a lot of the interviews with him, you know, you see him kind of trying to be drawn into very scientific speak by interviewers, but actually he quickly turns scientific concepts on their head and makes them very accessible to your kind of average listener, layman like me. So very, very cool stuff. So, so it sounds like we're almost 
getting to the point where we have these nano building blocks that can start to be being used in different industries. Is that fair to say, or is nanotechnology actually already being used in a lot of different applications that maybe we wouldn't really be aware of? So yeah, on our everyday life, we are already using concepts of nanotechnology and things that are around us. So for example, every time you go to the beach and you put on the sunscreen, you're actually leveraging concepts of nanotechnology because inside of that sunscreen, you have nanometric uh, particles of titanium dioxide, which is basically today one of the most widely used nanoparticles in the whole world, which is a very good UV absorbent. And then it basically prevents the skin cells from being damaged from the UV radiation. Is that why sunscreen works? Because of that? No. Basically, yeah. So because... <laughs> cool. Okay, there you go. I've learned something new. That's good. <laughs> Uh, before uh, the advent of nanotechnology, base, basically sunscreens were based on a mixture of polymers. So you actually had the layer of plastic on top of your skin, and then the degradation of that polymer was actually what prevents the damage to your skin. Uh, but then that's what also made the sunscreen very gooey and very thick. Right. Okay. So yeah, so nanotechnology has helped us to improve that very simple product nowadays, yeah. for example. Yeah. So that's why it's now like, you know, you can barely feel it on your skin. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then that's why you can also have like even um, applied as a spray, which makes it much more easy to apply and also increases the duration of the sunscreen protection. Mm. Interesting, interesting. So there's applications that are going on with nanotechnology at the moment, some pretty impressive ones by the sound of it. And we're also in this phase where we're starting to manipulate more and more materials to be able to be used in industry. What about the more kind of wacky out there ideas, the ones that have you know, been popping up in sci-fi for some time now? So, you know, nanobots in your bloodstream that can fix different parts of your body or you know, what? Well, yeah, maybe that's a good one to start with, replicators yeah. and things like that. That's a very good one to start, and I think I'm a bit biased to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can sense that a bubble is about to be burst here, yeah. Because <laughs> that's the whole mindset that I came with when I was uh, starting my PhD project. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, everyone sit down, put your robots away, you're not going to be leaving there. Is. <laughs> yeah, this whole idea of like tiny little machines that can operate inside your body and actually uh, help you fight diseases is what, is what has drawn me into nanotech. And actually, this is something that kind of like a way exists in a way because there are a lot of different research groups and actually companies that are starting off of the idea, can we actually help the body to fight specific diseases? And then the biggest area of focus is actually cancer treatment. So, for example, in uh, spinning out of Oxford, we have this company called uh, Oxford Sonics, where they are actually using nanobubbles to deliver anti-cancer uh, agents that can more easily penetrate the tumor tissue because it's very dense, because the tumor basically comes out of the replications of a lot of cells, so they are much more compact. Yeah. And then also the way the bloodstream is distributed inside that tumor tissue is different than in a regular tissue. So this makes uh, conventional treatments much more difficult. And what they are doing, for example, is trying to encapsulate the drug molecules inside these tiny little bubbles that can be ruptured upon exposure to ultrasound and then basically deliver the drug exactly at the place that it needs to be delivered. So nanoscopic bubbles with medicine particles within them in your blood flow but only being burst by ultrasound at the very point where the um, the medicine is required. 
precisely that. Wow. Because, okay. Yeah. One of the main problems that we have nowadays with conventional treatments, it's one, absorption. And the second one is biodistribution. So basically, the problem is with absorption is that the tumor doesn't want to absorb that because for starters, the tissue is much more dense, so it's more difficult for the medicine to penetrate. And then secondly, we don't have as many blood vessels within the tumor area. So yeah. it's more difficult to just get the drug that by flushing it through your bloodstream. Right, okay. Second one is uh, biodistribution, which is basically the availability of that drug in the area where it needs to be acting on. Mm-hmm. And then since our body ultimately is designed to eliminate anything that is exogenic to it, yeah. when the drug enters our bloodstream, it already starts being processed. So by the time it reaches the place where the tumor is, might not there be enough of a dosage to actually make an efficient treatment. So uh, um, just so that I, I'm on the same page, so I understand, in something like chemotherapy, it sounds like wherever the tumor would be in your body, you have to give the patient enough of that treatment so that wherever it is, it would receive an adequate dose of that medicine. And that's how it works at the moment, right? So you kind of have to overdose the patient because you're only dealing with, you know, what is a relatively small amount of tissue, but the entire body has to be inoculated because you're, you're kind of, it's a scattergun process. And my apologies to anybody who works in that field. I'm sure it's incredibly more sophisticated than that. But there's something going on here where you have to medicate the entire human being. Whereas what we're talking about is honing right in on the specific area that needs to be treated. That's incredible. Does that mean that the side effects of the medications would come down off the back of this because we're, we're using less of it? Absolutely, and that's the whole purpose of it. It's making the drug more efficient by targeting where it's actually acting on. So like by means of a more simple example, I suppose, based on what you were saying, is just we imagine, for example, those big battles in Lords of the Rings. So like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guys in the yeah. front row, they're all taken off by when the both armies come together. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens in your body when you have the conventional treatments. Sorry for everybody who's listening, that's, if that's oversimplistic, but just for the purpose of example, the first molecules that enter your body are actually going to be taken out by the regular body metabolism. And then actually the ones that are actually going to get to your tumor area is just like Aragon and Gandalf, which are like <laughs> all the way back in the yeah. tumor, you know? <laughs> yeah, so what we're actually trying to do is to get Gandalf and Aragon directly into the tumor area without having to use all of those guys in the front rows. Ah, okay. And, and I guess, you know, to torture that analogy, right, you know, it's a massive, painful, fractious, loud battle that essentially is really, really harmful to the body if you have to use that much of the medication to, to get to where you need to be. Exactly. That's why one of the biggest focus of drug delivery with nanoparticles is actually directed to cancer treatment and uh, devising new ways of actually leveraging those drugs. Because we know how much people that are actually going through chemotherapy or chemotherapy yeah. suffer because it's specifically not just because of the strength of the dosage, but also the side effects that it causes. So if we, by means of nanotechnology, we could decrease those side effects, that would already be an advance to the available techniques that we have nowadays to, to, to fight this terrible disease. Amazing. And it, it sounds like it, you mentioned the multiple different specialisms that you have worked in in order to be able to really just to have a conversation like this. You know, like you say, we are talking about physics, biology, chemistry, 
chemical engineering, right, like all of the above. Um, do you find or did you find when you were studying it that there were lots of other multidisciplinary scientists and that's what makes it an exciting field or are there others that are kind of, you know, one track mind when it comes to comes to this sector? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing with nanotechnology nowadays is that it's just such a vast field. Because if you think about it, there are so many different kinds of nanoparticles or nanostructures to start with. So you have organic structures, you have purely inorganic structures like silicon, you have purely polymeric structures, you have structures that are based on biomolecules that we have, like the cells that are formed by double lipidic layers and so on. So if you think about it, each group of scientists is already focusing on kind of these particles. And then inside of each division, based on the different kinds of nanoparticle and nanostructure that that group is studying, you also have different aspects of that that you need to investigate and understand better. So for example, what are the best methodologies that we can use to fabricate that particle that is going to make it more efficient so later on we can, we can scale it up if it comes down to a worldwide application of that specific particle? What are the mechanisms that that particle actually uses to interact with our cells inside the body? What are the mechanisms that we can actually use to trigger the release of the drug molecules that we are envisioning encapsulated inside of the nanoparticle? So the issue is that there are so many questions to be answered and obviously because of the extent of what we are trying to do when we're talking about obviously nanotechnology applied within biomedicine and medicine in general is that is exactly what you said we need to have a global understanding of what is happening and that's why we need to have scientists that have a general view of yeah. a little bit of each field so they can envision maybe they don't have the expertise to carry out the research in the biomedical side of things, but then they have a basic understanding and then they can elaborate collaborations with other groups to have a better understanding of all of that. Another thing I, I think is still a bit far behind is in terms of regulations right? Okay. and uh, how we can actually better use nanoparticles. And if it comes down to a large-scale fabrication of those, is it really safe? Can we dispose of the byproducts that are generated during the synthesis later on? How do we do that? And that's something that tends to happen with science a lot. The scientific advancements are always ahead of how we understand yeah. and how they impact our world. And this is something that is obviously also happening to nanotech nowadays. What do you think about the ESG regulations that are coming in around sustainability? So now you're looking at devices have to have end of life options. Obviously, there's all of these new legislations being signed off around single use plastics and plastic in general. Do you feel like the world is kind of well, not waking up to because we've obviously been aware of this as a problem for a while, but do you feel like industry is now addressing the problems like this and perhaps that will help? you know, burgeoning new uh, fields like nanotechnology. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you by experience that that is something that is already discussed within the nanotech world as well. Like, for example, during my PhD, I was studying better techniques that we can use to fabricate different kinds of nanoparticles. And the methodology that I was trying to apply is something that we call mechanochemistry. So in conventional synthesis, what you use is mostly a, a source of heat and the chemical reaction happens inside a solvent. So like when we think of scientists in cartoons and films, you always see them mixing up solutions to create yeah. something new. Yeah. 
So in mechanochemistry, what you actually want to do is to use the energy that comes out of mechanically applied force or collisions to create the energy that you need to sustain or initiate the chemical reactions. What, why is that different? Why has there been a change from the kind of heat it until it binds? Yeah, because in that sense, if you use mechanochemistry, you don't actually need the presence of any solvent. Okay. So this minimizes the environmental impact of producing a nanoparticle oh, as well, okay. because for one, you don't need as much solvent. And if you don't need as much solvent, you don't need as much water because all of the solvents use a lot of water during the fabrication. And then secondly, you also don't need to dispose of that solvent because after the synthesis is done, you want to isolate the material that is produced and then you discard the solvent. And then if you can produce the material from the initial reactants, just by applying mechanical force to them, basically you don't have any presence of solvent or things that you need to eliminate later on. Wow. And that's something we, I was trying to examine during my PhD. And that is a really nice company as well called Moth Technologies, who is basically trying to devise better fabrication techniques to actually use a mechanochemistry to fabricate, in this case, moth particles in a large scale. Amazing. And uh, I, I just started to kind of dip my toe in the water of this whole discipline when I, I read the article that you wrote on some of the, the, the most interesting, most exciting um, nanotech companies in the UK. I don't suppose there's any others of those that you haven't mentioned already that you want to kind of mention? Yes, absolutely. So for example, Keeping Things Local, there is this company called Oxford Nanopore, and I have been following the developments in the last couple of years. And this is coming out a little bit of the focus that we are having up to now in terms of nanoparticles for drug delivery, but it is still biology related because what they did is devising this real-time DNA processing methodology using nanoproteins. So they basically allow real-time analysis of RNA and DNA strains. And this can be used for many different kinds of applications. For example, they had a big impact during the most recent COVID-19 pandemic, where the technology was being used to sequence different strains of the COVID virus across the globe. So for example, in my home country in Brazil, the, the technology was used to actually track the first cases of COVID in the country and understand how the spread happened across Brazil, for example. And most recently, they had just made a stellar debut in the UK stock market with a huge and this is just goes out to show how incredible it is, this thing that they have just recently developed. Another one, this time actually based in the US, is a company called Water Harvesting. So they're basically leveraging on the technology to create this apparatus that is actually able to extract water from the air, uh, independent of the humidity conditions of the area. So they have been able to demonstrate they can actually produce liquid water even in these desert conditions. Wow. Okay. Which is something very powerful if you think about it, considering the water crisis that we have going through the moment yeah. and when basically a third of the world is under stress, under water stress, right? The delivering liquid water is something very powerful. And that's again, mm -hmm. leveraging on a technology. This is reminding me of a previous episode that we, we spoke about these um, cloud catching technologies that were being trialed in, I think it was in Morocco. So it, it, are these like nano nets that they're using <laughs> or are they particles that attract like like uh, hydrophilic particles that they've created how does it work and dry air turning that into liquid water without this, i'm going to need this in layman's terms so please help me out here. yeah that's i think that the, the analogy of a net it's very much what it is actually so you have this material and one of the things that actually makes nanotechnology so interesting is that 
the surface area that you're actually able to cover with just a tiny little bit of material is actually enormous. When we come from the micro scale to the nano scale, the smaller you get the material, the more surface area you have for the same amount of material. So let's think about this. If you have one huge block of one kilogram of yeah. metal, you have just a very limited area that is actually exposed, right? If you keep bringing this down to the nanoscale, actually the effective surface area that is exposed is much, much bigger. For example, this material that I've been talking a lot, and I'm biased because that's what was the, the subject of my PhD, uh, <laughs> the metal organic frameworks, for example, they are known as one of the materials with the largest surface area in the world. So one gram of the material, sometimes depending on the morph you're studying, it's more than 10,000 meters square wow. in just one gram of material. So this is it's more yeah. This is more than the whole surface area of an actual football field. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the characteristic that they are mostly leveraging for this device. So since you have this huge surface area that can interact and attract the water molecules in the air as well, they can use that to capture the water that is in there. So that's why I think you can make an analogy with like an actual net that's sure. actually capturing water molecules. Amazing, yeah. So just to hone in on that size versus surface area or amount of material versus surface area piece, I guess the larger the surface area you can create, the more opportunities you have to use that as a barrier in certain industries or to have a certain chemical cross it or attracted to it or any of the other applications that you want. So it's actually, it must be a really incredibly efficient discipline in general because of that, that surface area that we're talking about. Exactly. And that's what makes it so interesting and then so much more powerful the materials in the microscopic scale. This is why many devices in the nanoscale have such huge sensitivity to certain things. Another fair example to help illustrate that is what people are trying to do now in devising nanosensors that can actually be used to diagnose diseases just out of your breath. Because basically, we smell different when we are sick. So if I give you a very general example, one part per million of acetone in your breath means that you are healthy, but two parts per million of acetone in your breath means that you have diabetes. Wow, okay, flipping it. Yeah, can it's they do crazy, that with a lot right? of different diseases? Can they they can, that? because the chemistry of your body actually changes depending on the conditions that are happening inside. So for you to understand how small one part per million is, let's think, for example, of the whole Harry Potter series books. So in the whole series that is over a million words, it's actually a million and eight. 80,000. I'm feeling very geeky for knowing that. <laughs> Go on, we're, we're rolling with it. Where are you going with this? And every mention of the word Dumbledore is likely smaller than one part per million. So that's how small we are talking about. Each sure. Dumbledore word in the whole Harry Potter series is actually less than one part per million. <laughs> that is the weirdest analogy. <laughs> but we'll take it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, guys, sorry, I'm a nerd. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I heard something about the yeah, particles in your breath being able to be used to diagnose, but I didn't realize it was that specific, you know, that it yeah. could be, you know, just changing one particle that, that gives a diagnosis. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and then the thought of using that to diagnose anything used to be impossible before the advent of nanotech 
because exactly because of the increase in surface area and the, the size of interaction with different kinds of molecules is that actually what gives us the resolution of the accuracy to be able to detect something in such a small concentration. Yeah, high resolution feels like a, a useful <laughs> framework to think about these things in, right? It's like we've gotten to a higher level of magnification on every single scientific discipline because we have these new materials that allow us to, to see further into it. And we're going to be talking more about nanotechnology as well. In the making at the moment is a nanotech special that we're going to be running probably within the next couple of months. Although, please do bear with me as we are bringing on board a new editor at the moment. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get those episodes together. But we're looking to actually interview uh, nanotech companies over the next couple of weeks and obviously put Barbara's incredible intellect to use in interviewing those clients of ours and seeing what they're up to and seeing what companies, what science is not just being done, but is being invested in by the business community as well. So I'm super excited to hear about that. Barbara, since it's your first show, I feel like I want to hand over to you to do the sign off. Happy to do that? Of course, yes. I'm having like a fun moment now, closing up the episode. (laughs) (laughs) You put your radio voice on. All right, guys. Yes, everybody, like Quaker said, more of nanotech coming up soon. Stay tuned. And if you do have anything in mind that could be nicely linked to nanotech, but also could be completely unrelated, but you would like to hear being discussed in the podcast, please reach out to us. You can get a hold of us over our email address at wcn at grantree.com.uk. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.